Good morning. You uh, may be seated, and I want to welcome you to one of my favorite weeks of the whole year. Starts off with a wonderful Christmas. Hope you had a great day yesterday. And now we have a few days that are typically set aside to kind of reflect on where we've been in this past year and what we might like to see come to pass in the new year. It's that wonderful little hinge set of days that we have before the new year arrives. Next time we're all together, it'll be 2022. How do you want to see that year any different than this past year? It seems like in many ways we can uh, articulate reasons and uh, bullet points easier than in other years past. But it's, it's a very significant time uh, for me as I think through what was 2021 like and what is 2022 going to be like. And I typically try to find just one word to characterize the new year. What can I do with just one word to characterize as much as I can do in my year to make that come to pass? Now, to set that up, I want to tell you a story. I heard this story 100 million years ago when I was in seminary by a wonderful godly seminary student who will swear on a stack of Bibles that it's a true story. Uh, as we get into it, you may be as doubtful as I am, but it really is a good story, and it illustrates what we want to do in our time together this weekend. has to do with the stereotypical little country church, just a small little body of believers that, you know, all the staff was volunteer, there were no paid people, it was just, you know, the, the pastor was a plumber during the week, and the music director was a mailman who delivered the, it was, it was just this darling little uh, Norman Rockwell kind of little country church. Well, the story goes that a, a big, rich city slicker moved to the country, and he started attending this church. And part of what was uh, known for, in this little country church is they had great music every Christmas, every Easter. They pulled out all the stops and did this wonderful Christmas concert, a wonderful Easter concert that the whole town came to. It was really, really a wonderful event. So our friend, the city slicker, uh, comes to his first event since he moves to the country. And he hears this concert and he thinks it's really fantastic. And he, and he pulls the uh, music director slash mailman aside and he says, this is terrific. I love, you know, your choir sounds terrific. Um, and so I want you to know, I'm, I'm going to write a check. And I want you to put it towards the next holiday that we have. This Christmas is going to be the Christmas concert of all Christmas concerts. And the, the music director's like, well, thank you. That'll be great. I can think of some things that we can uh, do with that. And he says, well, I have some ideas too. You ever had a person like that who gives you the gift and then tells you exactly where he wants to put it? He said, uh, I'll be honest with you. I love your choir. Your choir is great. But whenever somebody steps forward to sing a solo, I kind of cringe. You know, they sound great as a group, but one-on-one, -on -one, eh, not so much. So if it's okay with you, I have some connections in the music world. I'm going to hire for the Christmas concert a wonderful woman who is an operatically trained soprano soloist. She's going to come and do all the solo work for the concert. 
And the little music director's like, wow, this is exciting. I, I, I love that. He said, oh, I'm not finished. I'm just getting started. He says, you know, the choir sounds great, but that old pump organ that they're playing, that's, that's a little too, that's just not enough. We need some help. Again, I have some friends in the music industry. For the night of the Christmas concert, I'm going to bring in a full professionally trained orchestra. It's going to be magnificent. It'll be the best backup to the choir you've ever heard. And the little postman is like, wow, this is really amazing. He said, and I got one more thing. He said, you know, this is going to be so big, it won't, it won't fit in our little church building. So we're going to go down the road a little bit, down to the big city, and I have rented for the evening a state-of-the-art concert hall and we're going to trust God to fill this place. And we're going to have the mother of all concerts. It's going to be fantastic. Well, the choir director is just as excited as he can be. And from Easter to Christmas, he's rehearsing the choir because the Christmas concert is going to be absolutely magnificent. And finally, the week of the Christmas concert comes and, and they take their rickety old church bus down from the country church down to the big city and they walk into this concert hall and it absolutely takes their breath away. Now you're getting the idea, this is an old story. Let me fill it in and tell you exactly how old it was. The state of the art technique that was pioneered back in this particular time was the, orca, the stage was this enormous platform but if there was an orchestra, the front part of the stage could be lowered like an elevator to create an orchestra pit. Now, these days, you know, junior highs have those, elementary schools have those, it's no big deal. But back then it was a really big deal. And this choir director slash postman comes in and he sees that the orchestra pit's been already set up and there's professional musicians there, it's just fantastic. And so they go through the dress rehearsal without a hitch. It's beautiful. The only unknown in the whole deal was the soloist, the operatically trained soprano soloist, who when she signed the contract informed them, I have no need to rehearse. Mm. Think prima donna, okay? So finally, it's the night of the Christmas concert. You're being very patient with me as I set this up. And the little choir director slash postman kind of sneaks a little peek out the curtain. And just as they had hoped, God filled the place with people. It was absolutely packed. And so the choir director is trying to control his nerves and he's trying to encourage his choir, you know, now just follow me on the downbeat and we're going to be all right, you know. And choir's getting a little nervous with how nervous the postman is, but everything seems to be going all right. Finally, the time arrives. Curtain opens, choir sings, orchestra plays. It is fantastic. Just like the dress rehearsal, it went without a hitch. And then it came time for the soprano. And she proudly marches out to the center of the stage and assumes the operatic singing position. She's not going to do Jingle Bell Rock or Rock Around the Christmas Tree. She's professionally trained. She's going to do a classical piece. And when I say she's operatically trained, as my boys used to describe it when they were young, it means, Dad, her voice has bumps. Okay. So she has this classical piece that she's singing, and she goes through, 
you know, and she's doing all this beautiful singing. Everything's going perfectly. And she comes to what you and I would know as the chorus in the song. And the first note of the chorus is an extremely high note that she's supposed to hit and hold as long as she wants. If you're a musician, it's got the bird's eye over it, the Fermat. Just hit that note and hold it. And she does. She sings it with great gusto and holds it forever. And while she's holding that note, the strangest thing happens. Unbeknownst to anybody else in the auditorium, the pitch of that note activates the elevator that's controlling the orchestra pit. And while she's singing, the orchestra is slowly coming up to her level. Nobody's put it together yet. She comes off that note, deactivates the orchestra pit. They go back down. Now, if that was the story, I could just about believe it. But my friend from seminary tells me there were no less than five verses to this song. And by the fifth chorus, all decorum had been lost. The professional violinists are now more like fiddlers. They're waving to the crowd on the way up and on the way back down. It was the worst thing that you could imagine in terms of an embarrassing moment. But again, I love that story because it illustrates, if I may say this phrase, a power that you know not of. That woman, by her very voice, could lift an entire platform of people out of that position. And with the same voice, she could send that group of people, let's get the pun out of the way, right down to the pit. Now, the reason I love that story is every person in this room today, every person who hears this presentation possesses the same power, whether you can sing a note or not. By our voice, we have the power to lift people up or send them down to the pit. And for me, as I approach 2022, the, the word that strikes me as the word I want to describe this coming year is I want it to be a year of encouragement, a year of building up people, not sending, there are enough people in the world that will send them down to the pit. What can I do to be an encourager? Now, if you're like me, there are many good teachers who talk about the importance from Scripture of being an encourager, but oftentimes they just kind of leave it right there. Be an encourager. All right. And it reminds me of a, of a football huddle where the quarterback calls the play. Okay, on this play, we score. Ready? Break. And we break, and as we're approaching the line of scrimmage, we realize an important thing. How are we going to get to the goal line? Are we throwing the ball? Are we running the ball? Is there a kicker on the field? We haven't got specific about how to score. So what I want to do for a few minutes today is talk about the how to be an encourager to those that are around us. Probably the most encouraging writer in Scripture, in the New Testament at least, is the Apostle Paul. And one of the very first books he wrote is the book of 1 Thessalonians. 
There's a wonderful single verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, that says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. I have to confess from all those years ago, anytime I read that verse now, I see an orchestra coming out of the pit. Encourage one another. Build up one another. How do you do that? Well, what's beautiful about this passage of Scripture is Paul illustrates how to be an encourager while telling them to be encouragers. I can see at least three, way, three ways you and I can become encouraging people through this passage. If you'll notice, the first thing that we see is in verse 11, therefore, encourage one another. Anybody who's serious about understanding the Bible realizes that whenever you see a therefore, you always stop to see what it's there for. And it's there in saying, as a result of what I have already said, encourage one another. Well, what did he already say? Well, if you have time later today, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the fifth chapter, you can see Paul reveal different things that he wants the Thessalonian believers to know. But I will take it in the, in the verse 8 where it says, For since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Does that remind anybody of any other passage of Scripture? Can you just kind of yell it out if it does? Yep, who else? Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. Put all these pieces of armor on so that you will be able to stand against that wily one, the devil. All right? And so Paul is saying, hey, you've got to prepare yourself to fight this battle. But as we know, of course, that is not to be taken literally. It's, it's symbolism. Paul is not saying, go get yourself a couple of pieces of armor, go get yourself a breastplate, go get yourself a helmet, and then you'll be safe from the devil. No, 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 no. He's using that armor symbolically for something very different. If there are any school teachers that are listening to me, you know one of the most basic rules of teaching, and that is the best way to teach an abstract concept is through the use of a concrete symbol. You teach abstract concepts through concrete symbols, meaning it's not the breastplate and the helmet that are significant, it's what they symbolize, what they illustrate. And in this passage, it is faith and love and hope, internal qualities, all right? That's what we need. We need internal qualities to stand against all the negative that's going to come to us this coming year. And we can do that. Now, if you are wanting to jot down a note or two, here's the first thing I want you to understand from that particular verse, verse eight. Encouraging people, number one, dwell on internals over externals. Encouraging people dwell on internals over externals. 
What Paul is saying, it's more important that you have faith and love and hope than anything externally. Uh, in our culture today, it's more significant than it's ever been because we are a culture that is absolutely ruled by how do you look? How do you appear? How do you dress? And Paul is saying, that's great. You know, I'm not saying go out of the house without clothes on, but what I'm saying is you concentrate more on what's inside than on the outside. You want to be an encouraging person in 2022? Dwell on internals over externals. When my five kids were very, very young, we had a wonderful experience where their great-grandparents were celebrating, if you can get this, their 70th wedding anniversary. And we decided we were going to go back as a family and support them in their little 70th anniversary birthday celebration. They lived in the Midwest. It was a darling, almost like what I opened with, a little country church where um, the party was going to be held in the church basement. Now, maybe some of you grew up in a church like this. It's, it's just wonderful. You know, the, it was covered dish, which means everybody brought either ham or jello or green beans. And it was all over the church basement there. I don't mean all over, but I mean bowls, dishes. And they put them all out and they would have in celebration for who we knew as Mimi and Gramps. So the day of the party arrives, and we're there early. We're over in the church basement, and we're with Gramps. Now, my five kids, one is a daughter, but four are sons. So I've got the four boys over with me in a corner by the, the gospel punch bowl. And um, Gramps is over there, and he's dressed to the nines. He's as dressed up as he has ever been in his life, meaning he's wearing a brand new pair of blue denim bib overalls. He's got the bib overalls on and they still have the crease in them. He's just looking dapper. And we're talking about 70 years of marriage and I'm using him as an example to my boys. This is a good thing. Boys, look at Grant. 70 years, you should learn from him. All of a sudden, through a side door, comes Mimi, also in a beautiful brand new outfit, a beautiful dress, but as Mimi's tend to do, it was covered with a full one of those aprons. Even though it was her party, she was gonna make sure everybody got some jello and a green bean. She walks in and Gramps sees her and he looks at my boys and he goes, that woman still does it for me which I thought was the most darling thing. I mean, here are these two, let's call them older. I mean, if they've been married 70 years, you know, they're old, all right? And here's Gramps going, woo that woman still does it for me. So as soon as my boys are able, they're like, dad, dad. You know, they pull me away from Gramps. And my son, one of my oldest sons says, uh, dad, is, uh, is Gramps okay? I said, what? He said, is he Thinking clear? He said, yeah, he's fine. How about vision? Is he, is he seeing okay? I said, what are you talking about? Well, did you hear what he just said? I said, yeah. He said, dad, we're talking about Mimi. Look over there, Mimi. And I said, what are you talking about? Dad, what's wrong? 
I said, there's nothing wrong. That is amazing. Matter of fact, you could all learn a lesson. It's not about what's on the outside. It's what's the inside. They love each other. They have worked all these years on that character quality. They love one another. And I remember my boys were just kind of, uh, okay, whatever. And I don't think they believed it. Well, I know they didn't believe it. They're all married now. None of them married a godly uh, elderly woman. So, uh, but I, I learned that day an important character quality. And that is, if you're in this for the long haul, people around you need to know that you're encouraging them about what's inside, not what's on the outside. So even if you got a lovely new wardrobe yesterday for Christmas, even if you got clothes and clothes and clothes, that's okay, that's fine. But what we really need to focus on is that internal character, that internal character quality that we absolutely need to work on and what we need to find in those people that are around us. You know, you always look good, you, you work out, you eat right, but I gotta tell you, you're the most caring person I've ever met. You're the most loving person I've ever met. I appreciate your honesty. Sometimes it's hard to hear, but I appreciate your honesty. You're a, you're a wonderful member of this family. You're a fine neighbor. You're a great, you know, coworker. I, and I want you to know why. It's not just because you always look put together. It's because there's something going on inside that really means a lot to me. I want you to be encouraged by that. And they will be, just like you would be if someone said that to you. So, number one, encouraging people dwell on internals over externals. Now, after verse eight, we have a couple verses, verses nine and 10. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I read those two verses and I hear the gospel. I hear God's good news of salvation to us. So let me put it in those terms. Number one, encouraging people dwell on internals over externals. Number two, encouraging people dwell on grace over works. Encouraging people dwell on grace over works. You see uh, this throughout the, the book of 1 Thessalonians. You see it in the book of Romans. Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is Paul's giving the gospel message that if we got what we deserved, this verse says, he's not destined us to wrath. That's what we'd get if we got what we deserved, which is a kind way of saying we'd all be condemned to hell forever. But instead, we have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by what we have done, but by what he has done. It's not by what we do, but by what he has already done. We have accomplished salvation, obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that says to me that, you know, this kind of encouragement is talking about acceptance over accomplishment and, and unconditional over conditional. That these are the terms that people can be encouraged hearing. If you're only encouraged by what you accomplish, your year is up and down and up and down. But if your year is described as one of grace, it makes all the difference 
in the world. I, I remember parenting those young kids. It was like, you know what? If you make your relationship with your kids based on conditions, you do good things, daddy likes you. Well, that's trouble because they, the kids get that and they keep doing things, but kids quickly run out of good things to do. But they don't stop doing things. You know, why did you set the house on fire? Well, I wanted you to pay attention. Okay, that makes sense. We'll never be the same again, but you know, I'm being extreme, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, if it's all based on condition and the adults in the room quickly can remember back to the way they were raised by their parents. You know, it was never good enough for my father or my mother never offered me any kind of encouragement. And we need to make the difference and say, this is how I'm going to encourage my kids. I remember my life is one of being on the road. I, I'm in church every Sunday, but I'm in a different church every Sunday. I travel around. I tell people I'm a professional guest. And so the kids were very used to dad being gone on weekends and then coming back. We'd have a wonderful uh, reunion on Monday evening at dinner after they came back from school and I got back from my trip. And all the kids would want to tell me about what's going on. And it seemed like you could, you could put the pecking order based on their age. The oldest always seemed to get the floor first. We'd sit at that dining room table and everybody would be talking at once and nobody would back off. Everybody would just keep talking. And I remember when we had uh, just the four, we didn't have the fifth one yet. Little, Joseph, uh, little John was the fourth one and he would just look around at everybody talking and, and nobody ever seemed to let him get a word in. And he, and he made the fatal mistake. He wouldn't keep going. He would just go, hi, 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 hi. Hey, hey, hey. You know, and, and the other kids are like, well, you're a loser. We're not going to worry about you. We're going to get through so the dad hears us. And, and I remember that, that fateful Monday night where John's like, hey, 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 hey. and finally he's had enough. And he just put down his silverware, looked up at the dining room chandelier, and just proceeded to go, ah, just scream at the top of his lungs, looking at no one. And of course, we all shut up because it's like, what in the world has happened to the, the baby? And he stops screaming and he looks around, points his little preschool index finger and says to all of us, do all you people have cut off ears? And we're like, what? And then we got it. Why are you not listening to me? What does a guy do? to get some attention around here. I keep trying to get in to tell you about my, you won't listen to me. And if I scream, you stop today. But if I scream tomorrow, uh, we're used to that. We know what that's about. Tomorrow, I'm gonna have to get up onto the table, tap dance in the potatoes to get some attention. Because if it involves conditions, quickly leave good conditions. Now we gotta be misbehaving in order to get some attention. Okay, let's leave parenting for a second. Isn't it the same way with God? Aren't you thrilled that God rules us by grace, not by works? If God only loved me if I did good things, I'd be in real bad shape. But the God of grace sent his son that we celebrated his birth yesterday to die on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with him, not based on what we do. I don't have to look at God and go, ah, 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 or tap dance in the potatoes. I can come to God broken and hurting 
and wicked and, and full of all my dysfunction and say to God, you accept me by your grace. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean he wants me to continue my life as a full-time criminal. He wants me to live a holy life. He wants me to live a righteous life because I'll be better off. I'll be happier. The world will be happier because I'm living a more holy life. But I don't get a relationship with him by doing things. I get a relationship with him by accepting what Jesus has done for me. And when I understand that, that's where I begin to see this is so encouraging that God brings me along by his grace. You want to be an encourager this year? Don't make it all about you did a wonderful thing. You got all A's on your report card. How many of us as adults are still living through that one B that we got? Or if you're more like me, the one B that we got was a celebration. It was the C's and the D's that I had to live with. But you get what I'm saying. If it's all about what you report, whew, that's short-lived. That's short-lived. What lasts is being encouragers that dwell on grace over works. Number one, encouragers dwell on internals over externals. Number two, encouragers dwell on grace over works. Let's do one last one. Encouraging people, listen to this, dwell on tomorrow over yesterday. Encouraging people dwell on tomorrow over yesterday. Now, later on today, crack open your New Testaments and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We get to this big, ultimate, climactic point, which we began with, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. We need to see what the therefore is there for. And it's, it relates all the way back to the beginning of the paragraph. And it's a long paragraph, 11 verses long. The paragraph begins at the first verse of chapter 5. And what we see in those opening few words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is what you and I know when we study the Bible as prophecy prophesying, predicting something that will happen in the future that has not yet come to pass. So what Paul is saying is, in view of the future, be encouraged. Now, we know that we can learn valuable lessons from the past. Part of what makes this week so significant is we will look back on the previous 12 months, and that will give us the motivation to make the changes that we need to for the following year, the, the, the traditional New Year's resolutions. And we will look back and learn from that, but we don't dwell on that. We dwell on tomorrow, just like prophecy set up, therefore, encourage one another. History is significant, but it's not... The, it's not the end-all, be-all. Paul said it the best in another book. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That's why I love this week. This week is all about what lies ahead. What am I able to say right now as I have a few minutes alone with God to, to predict what I want 2022 to look like? And we get to see that and understand, you know what? 
God has control of my life. And no matter how disturbed 2021 may have been, 2022 is a fresh sheet. Why? Because every day is a new day. You know, many of us have had deeply difficult circumstances in the last year or two. And we desperately want this next year to be better. Well, much of it is attitudinal. Much of it is the internal. Lord, I'm giving you this year. I want to learn from everything that you have from me. And you are going to grow my character. You're going to develop my character. And I'm going to live with the kind of idea that just like I'm going to do with others, I want to focus on what's inside of me, not, not what's going on outside of me. And I also want to be the kind of person that lives by grace, lives by the unconditional versus the conditional, lives by acceptance over accomplishment. And I want to live for tomorrow. I want to live about with hope over the hurt and the potential over the problem. I have a friend who's a therapist and he talks about the two different kinds of people that come for therapy. There's the people that have their problems and all they want to do is talk about them over and over and over again. Kind of like a pig rolling around in the mud. He says, and you know, it's, it's helpful to talk, but eventually you have to stop rolling around in the mud. The other type of person who comes for help is the kind of person that kind of rolls around for a little bit, but is, is willing to get out of the mud eventually. They're willing to go there. And this might be the year for you to move out of that mud into the great future, the hope that God has for you. And that's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you, is that you will be one of the people that lift those around you out of that orchestra pit. You will be the kind of person characterized by internals, grace, and the hope of tomorrow. That's what's going to make 2022 an amazing year. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Lord, thank you for the message that Paul gives us in 1 Thessalonians. Thank you for that book of encouragement. We are so grateful, Lord, for the wonderful words that he says, not just in general terms, be encouragers, but he actually shows us how to do it. I stop for a second and pray for those that hear this word that have had a difficult year. They are discouraged. They are depressed. They are overwhelmed with the difficult circumstances of life. I pray that this brief time together would give them a crack in the door, a light that they would see that would make a difference in their life. And Lord, for those who have never understood the message of grace, that it's not about what we're doing, but it's about what you did that gives us a relationship with you. May today be the day that they accept you as their personal savior. Lord, I am so grateful for this church, the leaders, the staff, the people that come every week. Bless them all. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.